Selling on free food tickets Ordering the milk from a hole in the roof Where the rain came through What can you do? Yeah, I can hear you. You're saying, why? Why, Amy? Why are you playing? Why are you playing this Paul Young song? I won't even go into Paul Young or anybody that's old enough to know this song. But this song is a song. (laughs) This song is a song that my high school boyfriend was... Let me explain. My high school boyfriend was in college. So he was in college. I was in high school. He had money and he was from a wealthy family and he had a lot of money and he also was a performer and he made money and he, whatever. He had, he was fine, you know. I was poor. (laughs) And the lyrics of this song are all about a poor family and how you just have to huddle together with love because you're so poverty stricken you have nothing else. He found my uh life with (laughs) when he would visit me at my home and come take me away to be kind of how do do i put it like like quaint or go sit down so he would come in his mustang to come pick me up and i needed i needed a boyfriend that had a car so that I could leave my home. My friends to this day that I have from that time make fun of me about that, but totally understand. <laughs> and I, ha- I still have a huge crew of people that I met through this, this guy. One of them being Brian McDonald, who I think you all know by now from my podcast. <laughs> so... When I hear this song, to me, it's just so belittling to my life. And it also reminds me that he thought of himself as a great savior to me. And he also had another song <laughs> that he, you know, devoted or that was another song to me. And that was Reel Around the Fountain by the Smiths. Now, all you Smiths people, I don't have to tell you the lyrics because, you know, all the Smiths people just know all of them. But there's a line in it that says, um, 15 minutes with you, oh, I wouldn't say no. People see no worth in you, but I do. So I've got Love of the Common People by Paul Young, Reel Around the Fountain by the Smiths, both of which have this quality to them, like, I'm your great savior, I see something in you that other people, nobody else possibly could because you're just poor and (laughs) you have nothing going for you (laughs) or whatever. And um, I mean, it makes me laugh now, but This episode is about class issues, and I talk to four people about class issues. I have my own mega triggers when it comes to class, and that's why I was, that's why I was one of the best slash worst customer service person to ever be in the espresso business, because the people that liked me, they loved me, but I could smell something on people, and 
and if it was you know like a class issue thing they would just be tortured i would torture them (laughs) um yelp didn't exist back then by the way so there you have a little a little bit of insight and perspective into i could go on and on i have many stories (laughs) believe me you'll hear at podcast number 200 you'll you'll be like amy enough but i just need to set the stage for why I'm even bringing this stuff up. And I talked to four people that I love. I talked to Teal Allen, Gus Lanza, Leo Segovia, and Erie Jones. Three of those people have worked at Vivace. Um, Boy, Vivace gets a lot of fucking free advertising from me. (laughs) I'm going to ask David to give me free coffee for life. Oh, yeah. David did say that I got free coffee for life back in like 2001 because he knows how much money I made for him and how much I was not compensated for that (laughs) and I've been erased from history. But then he like rewrote history so that he could take that back. So, you know, that's for another day. Anyway, uh, I'm going to move forward with this and I hope you enjoy episode number, I think, 15. And subscribe to my podcast man tell your people tell your friends subscribe you know hit you gotta hit that button you gotta hit that like subscribe button in whatever podcast player that you use so i've gotta i'm gonna start being a little pushy about it you gotta hit that button thank you and i hope you enjoy these conversations next stop capitol hill station can I get a deluxe fry, a medium coke, and two ketchups, please? Deluxe fry, medium coke, two ketchups. Crossing Broadway. Block sign is on. Crossing Broadway. Hi, Teal. Hi. So, uh, yeah, thanks for getting on the mic for a few minutes. Because, you know, Teal, I, I, I would call him my gardener, although he's employed by the people who own the house that I live in. Well, but you know, I actually I, I like gardener. Yeah, gardener, my, my gardener. Yeah. This branch is hitting my bangs when I walk out the door. You know, I yeah. think that every time I clear a pathway too, is I was like, I don't, I don't want Madame Vanderbeck to come out her doors with a stern look and a pair of orange-handled scissors. You don't want me flying into a rage. No. Yeah, no. you care about me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the bushes keep you, you sane, calm, calm. <laughs> So I was just um, editing a podcast down in my subterranean apartment. Yeah. And um, it was with Mitch Hale. You know Mitch, of course. From yeah, absolutely. Vivace, yeah, I, I heard he days. was just, just in town. Yeah. So I got to talk to him. But we were... Uh, he owns he owns some coffee shops down in the L.A. area. Right, yeah. And, and I was... I asked him this question, which was... When you are working the bar, you're mm-hmm. a barista in the bar, yeah. do you, does your ego kind of have to let people know that you own it so that they don't think that you're a barista? Oh. Right. Oh. Well, um, I actually haven't encountered that with myself. However, I um, noticed that very distinctly when um, Vivace moved down into the South Lake Union area, mm-hmm. and it was when Brian was still around um, and running the show, and it was such a um, cultural experience coming from Broadway and Capitol Hill with um, the group of employees we had, but also the new 
you know, quote unquote clientele. Um, and that being said, uh, I noticed that uh, Brian started not wearing his regular t-shirts that had clever things on them to button-ups. And I, I, I understand the whole sort of transitional um, attire, if you will, to be to show a, a sense of professionalism, I, I guess, is for lack yeah, of a Yeah, that transition better. was an interesting and calculated one by Brian to Very, be like, I'm the hip, the vo- you know, whatever right. barista on Broadway. Well, he, he called my, it corporate tribal is corp- what it was the look that he went for. <laughs> and he always called it drag, you know, corporate drag. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. Know, but um, but uh, he's playing, very, very much... Very much was calculated. He kept the facial piercings, but he went with the nice mint green button-ups instead of the, you know, iClub hippies or something like that on his T-shirt. <laughs> you know, that. You know, a club sign, yes. uh, as in on a deck of cards. But <clears throat> no, so uh, back to your question for me. Um, I've only been managing, you know, for a little over a month. So my self-identity will probably always be an employee slash uh, barista um, or I won't say non-authoritative figure but um, I don't yearn or need to draw attention to the fact that you're a manager yeah and I I, I guess I'm I'm hesitating because I want to use the right words in that I don't want it to be like you know, I'm under the radar. However, um, there's a certain quality about what I consider one of the things that I love about kind of vivace, at least of the days of old, is that it seemed like everybody sort of ran the show, um, and not necessarily well, but um, there was a, a sense of possessiveness or. Um, in a good way, not, you know, not a selfish way, but that we all cared so much about the shop that it kind of could be confusing to someone as to who, you know, really was most in charge. Because when we were working our shift, we felt like we owned the place. Uh, yeah. And pretty much yeah. acted accordingly. Acted accordingly. Yes. And like I said, not always behaving well uh, in from that regard. But Do you find, have you, has your attire changed into the... No. Okay. And, you know, um, in that sense, um, I, I don't really wear a lot of shirts or garments that include uh, words on them, uh, mostly because I learned long ago, and this is, again, from being a barista and not a standoffish one, but uh, I find that unless I want to have a conversation piece, anything that... Um, requires at the very least a complimentary giggle even if it wasn't a funny t-shirt um kind of isn't my thing so uh, and for that matter i i I stick with a staple black you know t-shirt is sort of my 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 shtick or you know at any rate my my attire has not changed at all and some of that is just out of sheer laziness but I probably could stand to do a, a revamp, but that's mm-hmm. just as a person, not really a position. Um. I remember when I, I left Vivace when I was like 30, mm-hmm. and then I moved to L.A., and it uh, 
kind of I got into a depression and tried to you know I worked in some studios and worked on some shows and stuff down there but I didn't really make it and I kind of cowered back um to I see it kind of as a failure but that's a whole different story but I came back and then some things happened in my life to where I needed to work again at Vivace Mm -hmm. and I was 36 so between the ages of 30 and 30 and 36 I did and I felt like you know young enough or what I don't even know why I got hung up on these things because that's a really good job Mm -hmm. and yet I couldn't appreciate it because I was so hung up on the societal bullshit thing yeah and then when I went back and I was 36 I remember feeling that that hit my ego in a way and I I uh, you know it b- kind of bothered me. I'm like, they're going to see me as older. or They're going to... Oh, or too I old to be like standing a, at the bar being a barista. It's like, what happened to her? Why didn't she... Is that what you... Yeah, like kind of like a, it was a badge of my own failure. Well... Even though it's a good job. But, mm-hmm. I'm ta- you know, this classism thing, even when we're doing it to ourselves, because I wouldn't look at somebody else. And, th- and, and think, think that. that. But yeah. I think that about myself. No, I think... I think a lot of that has to do, obviously, just what you said about, um, you know, self-image more than actually what you think of others, and um, not to, well, I, I actually think of him more often than not um, about Brian in the sense of um, him being a little, not a little, a lot of a mentor to me. Um, especially in regard to being a barista and doing it with longevity. Um, one of my struggles, and it doesn't happen so much anymore, but it's kind of one of those things with a career barista that has family members that don't understand what we do. For example, my family's in, in rural Montana, and I won't say I was ever unaccepted, and it's always been a passion of mine, but he very much instilled in me that it's a noble position to have as uh, being a barista and someone who's able to do it well. Um, It doesn't have to just do with um, speed or um, quality, but also social interaction um, and the ability to do it with over a great amount of time and gracefully, um, sort of a dance. And he related a lot of things to dance. And I don't want to shoot off in that very evergreen type of conversation. Um, but, but truly that was a huge struggle I had, um, with my own self identity throughout my twenties is okay. I've looked back and I've been here, you know, eight, 10 years at that point and thought, well, shit, I should have at the very least had an undergraduate degree at this point. And I think academia is something that people use as markers in life. a salaried position again um and so this could go on to a you know sort of a a, another conversation about where we um feel like we should be at a certain point in our life maybe it's a biological clock if you will but i think we have some really set markers in life that identify whether or not we're doing well for ourselves and one of those is the way other people treat us or our impression of what they're thinking of us and I had a hard time for a long time wondering if you know I was gonna do well and 
um, one of the things that I realized is I was very happy, you know, and still very happy to, to make coffee at a level that, um, pleases me still. Um, and like anyone in the service industry, there will always be days out of the week where I'm like, what have I done? Do you feel like you're, um, I know you have to go soon, but I just want to, um, do you feel like you're, um, you have less anxiety now than you did say 10 years ago? Yes. Okay. Um, so you're more comfortable. I'm more comfortable because I know where I need to uh, hold my anxiety. Things that are really um, unchangeable. Um, and I won't say that I'm even ever probably going to be in a solid position where I'm like, I've got it together. But more so, I think that I have come to a point where um, I can identify certain markers of things that aren't going to bring me any good by losing sleep over or worrying about. But I'm also um, a sensitive enough creature and um, insecure in a lot of ways that um, I probably will always struggle with where to, to hold my anxieties or what's, you know, the biggest thing to be freaked out about. And that's not to say, you know, um, that we don't all feel that way. And I also am coming to this point where in my life I have friends and family members who are by all intents purposes quite successful. Some of it's a monetary thing, some of it's just, you know, kind of, you know, a family or or what have you. And I don't really un- f- fully believe that anyone ever is in a spot where they actually are like, this is where I'm supposed to be. So, right, right. People and not are always in a, looking to the next. Not thing. in a doomsday. Yeah. yeah, not in a, you know, like nobody can ever reach that spot. It, it's not a, ne- a negative comment, but more a reassuring thought that even, and I keep referring to finances, and I think part of it is because of the original question relating to, you know, sort of letting someone know that I'm in an um, authoritative position, whether that be ownership or managerial to, to customers, and I, I guess I'm bringing it back full cir- circle, but in relation to the people that I see on a pretty regular basis, they they have really nice salaried jobs, but they don't have a social life, a rich one, like I get to be part of, and privy to really awesome folks that are creative, like yourself, um, doing this, this podcast, um, I've realized it's kind of like group therapy. When you listen to other people talk, how much you have in common with, with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It it really has been helping, helping me a lot at, you know, um, but let's be clear also, and just, just to sidestep so that, um, it's, it's above the boards. I also work at a bed and breakfast where I happily get to garden most of the time, but there's times when I'm cleaning rooms and I'm swilling out toilets and making sure oh, people Oh, I didn't know have, you were doing that as well. I still right? do that. I'm a gardener at a couple other places, uh-huh. and those, again, are positions that very easily you can feel less than. Or stereotypically, and I don't. Um, I'm perfectly happy putzing around in a yard and getting my hands dirty in coffee. And Do you ever find, and, and this is something that I do 
and I don't know if you do it or not, or I've never noticed if you do it, but I can find myself doing that thing where I'm trying to justify my existence. I'm trying to be like, well, I really do this. And I, I know it's, it's like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to build myself to a person who doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I hear that desperate side of myself mm-hmm. and I, then I hate that person. Oh, yeah. And, and realize how transparent I am. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I'm... Well, no, no, no. I, I, one example that just came to mind, sort of, that sort of drives me crazy myself is like there'll be a time maybe there's a, a beautiful flower in a vase that so we get a weekly delivery of flowers at work and someone will ask about it now maybe i'll actually know the, the latin name and um, you know a, a clever common name and i'll tell them and they'll be wowed and that should be it but then there's times when I'm like, you know, actually, I'm, and I'm going to school at South Seattle College for horticulture studies. You know, one of those things where it's really unnecessary. Uh, you know what I mean? The conversation was, we, the ship sailed. We already identified the plant. It was neat that one of us knew what it was called, and it's pretty. The other thing I can't really blame us meeting kind of like my Vivace family and different uh-huh. restaurants I've worked that, you know, every restaurant is a family. Yeah. You have to work, operate like, you know, it just happens that way. Oh, yeah. But um, I have to defend our uh, reaction to defend ourselves because people that have never worked these service jobs don't understand how condescending the customers are to us. Oh, yeah. The, the assumptions that they, they mm-hmm. make about us. Yeah. And and so it gets to be so exhausting on your self-esteem mm-hmm. that it's no wonder that we try to kind of build ourselves up in the way yeah. it, in in the ways that we do, even it, if it's transparent and desperate. Yeah. No. 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 And I, again, I would be not telling the truth if I didn't say that there were times when I felt the need to create. Um, a present or give a presentation of of who or what I I can or do know and um, again it sometimes feels a little little desperate um, and yeah from the condescending standpoint um, I've gotten better about letting it roll off my shoulders if you will Every once in a while, though, if the breeze blows just right, <laughs> and I don't your, handle it well at, at if all. If you get your buttons pushed in a certain mm-hmm. order, it's like, oh, you just hit the magic combination. Yeah. It's going to make I, all I've, my issues come forward. I was just having a meltdown with myself last night. You know, uh-huh. and, and not literally, but, you know, you, you're having a rough night, and then the next day it, it's just the right thing was said, or sometimes it just requires a look, and I... Well, anyways, yeah. uh, so my reaction is not always of the noble sort. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. Sweet, <laughs> no. Sweet, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been yeah, been told I'm a little crunchy at times and a little snarky, and both in one comment. So, I, you know, it, that, <laughs> that happens, and you do, you get better with people interaction, too. And from that standpoint, I also think for all the education in the world some of the shit I've seen and done and talked about with people over in particular the bar is not something you can acquire any other way but being in that position because you 
you know, you're also vulnerable as the person, but we also have been privy to people, other people's most vulnerable moments, whether it's a death or a marriage or a first date or a breakup. I've seen it all. Well, you know, yeah, and especially the for how long we've worked mm-hmm. in certain places. Yeah. And we've seen the arc of of yeah. marriages. We've seen the arc of oh, child rearing. We've seen yeah. the arc of a new job turning into a nightmare. We've seen mm-hmm. and so it's and it's great. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I, I guess um you know, self image and, and identity uh is a huge part of what we focus on as far as who we are, uh, work does. And um, so when I'm having a rough go of it, I, I do try and, um, you know, remind myself that where I may be capable of having other kinds of positions, would I really like it? Probably not. Right. Yeah. You know. Well, cool. So, Thanks for talking to me. And, yeah. and maybe next time, and I know we don't have a time to get into a lot of things, but um, I think kind of like part of this too is like you and I are people that used to drink a lot together. Mm-hmm. We've had many, yeah. many a drunken night and day mm-hmm. and morning, <laughs> you know, like. and Three in a row. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I would like to, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of stuff about self-image and, mm-hmm. you know, now both of us are... Um, you know, making our way, making our uh, way in, in a and, real you know. raw, raw fashion. And yeah. it ain't always fun, and but we could talk about that yeah, p- aspect of it. So thanks for, um, you're welcome talking to me. Feel free to cut most of this out if you need oh, to and have fun at Ghostbusters. <laughs> thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye. I'm with Gus Lanza, and I have major, major class issue problems, and I always kind of have. <laughs> and um, it would rear its ugly head at Vivace when oh, I worked yeah. there. You know, yeah. get a real people would get a real dose of how much I resented having to serve them. <laughs> but uh, the issue right now in my life is that I'm I'm recovering from this depression. I can't do like a career type. Mm-hmm high-powered 60-hour-a-week job. So I'm working in a restaurant as a line cook. Yeah. And then and then I'm suppressing the urge to explain to people why, you know what I why mean? Why you're a why line I'm cook. There. Yeah. Why I'm there. Why I'm a li- but then why do I need to do that? Yeah. Why do I need to tell somebody, no, I'm really this and I'm really that. It's like, who the fuck cares, Amy? They don't care. You know, they, they're just... They, and, and so there's this like clear clearly i'm insecure mm-hmm. still i'm 48 and i'm insecure which is like that's not fair <laughs> no that's not fair and i i think that you and i both have a very close mutual friend who has worked at vivace for a very long time yeah. and has accomplished all of the things that the sort of quote unquote american dream tells you you should strive for like owning a home and owning a car and being able to vacation and having money in the bank and 
right. you know, not having to check your bank balance before you grocery shop and all those sorts of things, yet she still feels that same way every day that, oh, this is the only thing I've accomplished is working at Vivace. And it's that, and it's like on the day to day, maybe she feels very satisfied with her life. And when she adds it all up, she's got everything else that people who work in fancy office buildings have. Yet she has more flexibility. And I would argue that she's probably happier because she has a less stressful, um, relatively speaking, work environment than than people who have to wear, you know, suits and ties and, and kiss ass for a living. Um, well, yeah, and we also have a lot of friends in the service industry, yeah. a lot of friends in the restaurant industry. You're 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 in a restaurant right now yourself, I, Yeah, I'm right? serving. Yeah, I'm a server. And uh, it's my first time as a server. I've mostly done uh, back-of-house stuff. So mm-hmm. in restaurants in the past, I cooked. I was a line cook. And then at Vivace for 10 years, so it was definitely more of like a... It was sort of like teetering front and back of house yeah. feeling yeah. to me, where uh-huh. you're you're preparing things, but you're still having to interact with the public, albeit very, very like you know small doses. Um, How do you feel serving now? Do you feel, do you feel any need to be? I mean, to be because you're a trainer also. I, I mean, I feel. Um, you know, I'm 33, and when I am in a group of my peers, um, I do feel, you know, kind of embarrassed that I'm just a server, and that's how I describe it. Like I'm just a server. You're but apologizing I, for yeah, the way you make a living. Yeah, because and feeling to... and feeling somehow less than, or I feel the need to assert that. Oh, I do have a college degree, so right. that it's, you got to get I'm, it in there. I have a college degree, but I'm choosing to be a server. You know, and I do honestly feel like it is a choice. Like I've I've never desired working in an office. I've never desired that lifestyle of. 40 hours a week and in an office building hanging out and like having water cooler talk with people that I would not want to associate with outside of work. You know, I've never, I've never desired that for myself. Um, When you're at a party and that back to that, just a server thing, when you're at a party and you are describing and and that you say you're a server, do you ever feel when when you hear yourself going, but I have a degree and I have the, Mm -hmm. do you ever feel like, shut the fuck up? Mm-hmm. Like I hear myself being, yeah. p- that's just pathetic that yeah. I have to do this. Well, what's, what's funny is like, um, my best friend and I, we've been friends for 13 years mm-hmm. and, uh, went back to school together. We both worked at Vivace together. Um, we both have had very similar pasts in terms of like left our family of origin pretty young in life and have you know, I've had a lot of the same sort of money struggles and we come from similar backgrounds in terms of, um, class, the class of our parents Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. (laughs) presumed class of our parents. And, um, he recently got a job and it's the most money he's ever made in his adult life. Um, and when I tell him how much I make in a week as a server, it's it comes very close. And, and granted, it's not going to be like that way every week. Right. There's a lot more ebb and flow, but but an average week is still like pretty on par with what he's making. And so if we're just looking at the financial aspect of it, you know, there's no reason I should feel as you know insecure about my my sort of professional position in life as I do, uh, if we're just speaking purely financial. Right. Uh, but yeah, there is something to be said for, um, you know, having to like bring people food and nine times out of the 10, they don't look you in the eye and 
you know, they don't, I, I don't know, it's a, I do have some, like, the neighborhood that I work in is definitely a little bit more friendly in terms of, like, we do see a lot of the same people and it is very much a neighborhood restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, But you do get the occasional table where they would, you know, you could be anybody standing at the table. They wouldn't recognize you. Right. You know, in a lineup. Um, You're just the whoever bringing them food, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a little bit more of that in Seattle since... Definitely. It's changed. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. I noticed that actually it was more pronounced for me at Vivace than it was um, working in restaurants, honestly. Like the change? The, the change. Way, oh, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. The way, the ways in which we got treated as our like artisan baristas years ago, mm-hmm. we were treated as like purveyors of this like fine-tuned craft this this thing we all trained really hard for everybody seemed very appreciative of what we were doing and they seemed to trust our like expertise and our knowledge and uh, almost in awe of the fact that we were able to make such quality product in such a short amount of time and handle like the the busy lines and everything and then I feel like the customers started getting a little bit more demanding, a little bit less thankful, a little bit less uh, personable, tipping less. Um, you know, like people would just be on their phones in line and right. you'd have to really try to like get them to pay attention to you and then they'd give you an attitude for <laughs> trying to take their order. Yeah, like you're bothering me because like, I'm in the middle of yeah, posting something and like right, you're trying right. to get my order. And it's, and it's like, you know, we're just trying to help you. We can't make you, we can't make you f- coffee unless we know what you want, you yeah. know. Um, and so I definitely noticed that shift more yeah. pronounced for sure yeah. than in the restaurant world. Um, and I think it was like, it speaks volumes to the power of like Starbucks culture. And, yeah. and it, to me, it just really showed the shifting demographic of our neighborhood. Cause you remember yeah. when you've been on the Hill a long time, I've been on the Hill for like 14 years Yeah, and it used to all be like artists and service industry workers and bartenders and performers and people who, who survived on tips. And it felt very much like a, uh, very much like a community and very much like a sort of like a secret club. Like we would go to different bars and different restaurants and take care of each other, you know? Right. And, uh, I definitely don't feel that as much. Yeah. I definitely used to feel like that, Yeah, you know, just, yeah. In a way, like if you're a server on Capitol Hill, like yeah. you get VIP status. VIP wherever. everywhere. You yeah. get like, you know, you get a discount on your food or you get free drinks or you get this yeah. or that. Or people recognize you. Hey, you work at Vivace. Cool. Yeah. Like I, my coffee was so good. Or there was just more, it felt more like a community. Yeah. They um, really knew who we were and we knew who and they were. And we knew who they were. Yeah. Exactly. And we would go to each other's events um, around town because a lot of people, you know, had had day jobs. But really what their passion was, was creating art and music. and Yeah. Um, and different sort of DJ queer what's, nights or whatever, yeah. you know. What's your career trajectory right now? See, that's the problem. Um, I think that, like, and maybe you feel this pressure as well, but I feel like for me, I'm, f- like, when I think about on paper and I sort of quiet all the noises in my head from society and from the sort of capitalist machine and from my own upbringing, uh-huh. um, I'm content where I am. Like, I make a good living. I have a schedule that is so flexible that allows me to go on vacation pretty much whenever I want. Uh-huh. Um, I work an average of six hours a day, so I don't spend my entire day, you know, slaving away for somebody else. Right. Um, 
You have autonomy. I'm, I have autonomy, and I'm able to. I don't feel micromanaged um, mm -hmm. when I leave work. I don't take work home with me, so I don't feel very stressed out. Um, it enables me to have a second job that I do purely for the love of doing it. I do get paid, but it's not the training, right? And it's yeah. not enough to to live on, but it's certainly like a good supplemental sort of extra income. Sure. And more than that, I get a lot of like personal satisfaction from that um, and enjoyment from that. Um, so it allows me the time. So right that. now you don't feel like I'm climbing, 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 that no, climbing feeling. No, and I honestly, for the first time in, I would say for the first time in my adult life, I feel pretty content. And, you know, that could shift and change. But I thought about going to, uh, so I did go to grad school for one quarter mm -hmm. and had massive panic attacks every night about the amount of debt I was uh, going oh, no, into. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I was in, I went to public health school in Philadelphia. Uh, for one quarter, so three three months or however long a quarter is, mm -hmm. ten weeks or something. Um, and the school, the program I was in, it was a two-year program, and it was like $55,000 a year. Oh, my God. And I got very little financial aid, and so it was all on loans. Mm -hmm. And every night I was just like in a panic. Like, I can't knowingly go into this much debt. Like, right. I can't. Um, and so I ended up leaving that program and coming back to Seattle and having sort of an identity crisis of like what what will my life look like, feeling a lot of pressure to sort of get get some sort of holy grail of jobs with like a pension and benefits and retirement and all of this stuff, sort of trying to um, make up for my legacy, which is my 58-year-old <laughs> father who has nothing, no right. income, no savings, no nothing. Which is scary. Which is scary. Yeah. What he does have is a mother who pays all of his bills. I don't have that luxury, and so in my mind, I'm like, I got to get my shit together, right. you know. And uh, so I struggled with that a lot when I came back, and I was like looking at other grad programs, and just felt really daunted by the whole process of grad school and the fact that it is so expensive. And the only way I could see cost benefits, uh, it making sense, would be to go into some field that I felt zero passion for. Right. Uh, some kind of business or science or tech field like I would I would never be interested in any of that stuff um, maybe on like a very cursory level I would be interested in you know reading an article about XYZ having to do with tech or you know the hard sciences but that's not where my passion is and that's not what I want to do for a living and I didn't feel like I could really sort of sell out in that way um, I've never really been able to do anything that's not like genuinely something I want to do. Um, so I got into the training thing because I was like very passionate about that, and I thought you know maybe this could be sort of my entry and en entry into doing um, like physical therapy or working with older adults, mm -hmm. um, which I do really enjoy. Um, and then looking into physical therapy schools, I ended up I would have had to go back to school for six something years. Right. Uh, to get that degree, which would have reduced the amount of hours I could work, which I couldn't do because the cost of living on Capitol Hill is so insane. So it's just, I, I sort of felt stuck. Um, and I think part of me kind of gave up and was like, I guess I'm just going to be a server forever. But the more I started thinking about it, the more I started hearing my friends who have these sort of quote unquote professional jobs, um, the more I started to feel kind of lucky. You know, they're bitching that they're oh, back to the grind, it's Monday, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, yeah, I, I don't work till 5, you know, and I get to kind of have a lazy morning, and I'm only going to be at work for five hours. Right. Not a right. big deal, you know? Right. And so in that way, I, I started to feel a little bit um, 
a little bit more sort of content with my and your current setup. Your um, and that thing that comes into like security of yourself. You feel? Would you say you feel pretty good about yourself? Uh, I had a rough patch. Um, leaving Vivace was, was a very hard decision for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the it's. I've been telling people, it was like it's the longest relationship I've ever had in yeah. my life. Yeah. Um, and I needed to leave to know that I could leave. It's hard um, to leave there. It's hard to leave there, and you know, it was my safe place for so long, and I I definitely was just feeling really stagnant, and I needed right. to know that I could leave and be okay. Um, and so I went through a really weird sort of uh, transitional period where I was waiting tables at one restaurant and I hated it. The hours were really long. The money wasn't very good. Uh, I didn't like the environment. It was very chaotic. I didn't like the people I worked with. Like mm-hmm. nothing about it was appealing to me, especially leaving a place like Vivace where we all really like each other. Sure. We all really like what we do. It's family. It's family. Yeah. So going from that environment where I felt fully supported, the people I worked with were the best part of going to work every day to an environment where not only did I not believe in the product, I couldn't stand the people I was spending nine plus hours a day with. Um, you know, it was just, it was a very rough transition. And so um, I ended up working very, very little for about four or five months and kind of living off credit cards. So I'm oh sort God. of like digging myself out of that. Now I feel like I'm in a good place with my, um, yeah. with my setup, my work setup. Like I like the place I work now serving like all the people I think they're all great and intelligent and funny and hard workers and I like my boss so you're in a good yeah. in a good restaurant environment that's, yeah that, and that's it's, it's actually find. the first time since Vivace that I've worked somewhere where I, I could see myself like spending time with people outside of work and uh, where I look forward to seeing people when I get there and um, I that's don't, cool I don't, I mean, like, it sounds good that go you're like in a good place where you you like your daily life now I do. It took it took a while, and you know that's probably subject to change. <laughs> Those sorts sure. of things tend to ebb and flow, but yeah. um, I think for the most part, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm happy. I Good. I. Uh, I have to quiet those voices all the time that are like, you're just a server. The class issue yeah, voices. Or, yeah, or the voice of like, well, what's the next step, you know? There's always the next, and as Americans, it's always like, yeah, you got to like, bump well, it up. this is like a means to an end. But this is, you know, in terms of career, I, I can see myself being fairly comfortable doing this. Like maybe at some point down the road, I might want to open my own gym or something like that. Sure. But um, like, I'm not in any hurry to do that. And I definitely feel like, um, like my jobs might stay the same, but in terms of my intellectual, emotional self, like I definitely am always looking for the next step there. Sure. Like I'm always learning and challenging yeah. myself in that way. Um, and so I still feel like stimulated, even if my jobs sort of stay the same. Yeah. You, know? you don't need the stimulation to come from, from the work. way that you make money. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And if anything, like the important thing for me with my job is definitely like schedule flexibility to allow me that space and time to sort of live my life, which I feel like a lot of people are so focused on work that they're forgetting to actually like enjoy yeah, <laughs> the, the daily, the daily, their yeah. lives essentially. Yeah. Um, and I feel kind of lucky to be in a position, um, me and one of my friends who's also a server, we talk about this, how we feel really lucky that we only have to work a few hours a day and we get to actually like spend time with our friends and our loved ones and like make art and do the things that we enjoy doing, you know? 
Um, sounds like yeah. Sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I mean, are you finding that in your line cook gig right now? Well, it's really new. It's and those um, are longer hours and server it's, hours. It's, it's really hard. Yeah, I it's mean, hard. Like, I I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep doing. I mean, physically, it's very. It's a tough job. I have to lift very heavy things, and yeah. I'm. Yeah. Um, so I'm. I'm. It's unknown right now. Right. I'd kind of rather make money just doing you know projects for people yeah like hey i need to digitize all these photos i'll pay you you know whatever like stuff like that versus um i mean it is brutal work i gotta say it's not not optimum but but i need the money and um and and this is and this is what i've always sort of told my father we've always had i've always sort of had this um stern talk with him when he goes through periods of unemployment, which have been very frequent in my life. And um, just because he is one of those people who's never really had to work, so he chooses not to. And, um, and you know, he'll say, well, I've tried looking for jobs, but I can't find anything. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't find anything? And I would point out, you know, five, six different places as we drive down the street that are hiring, you know, like auto parts stores or fast food restaurants or different places. And I'm like, you know, it's not necessarily about where you're getting your paycheck. It's, you know, like getting a paycheck is also kind of, kind of nice to yeah. be able to, to be able to work. You should never be ashamed of earning No, you a shouldn't paycheck, be, a, you know? you, people shouldn't be ashamed. People shouldn't be ashamed. Yeah. And there's something we said, like, would I ever want to work in fast food? Hell no. But right. my father, on the other hand, who is constantly complaining about not having this, not having that, not having money, you know, he could do worse than. Sounds <laughs> like you're the adult in the relationship. Always. Yeah. Oh my o- God. Always have been. Yeah. Thank you so much for discussing this. It's yeah. a, it's a infinitely interesting topic to me. The way people feel about what they do for a living. Well, and, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna butcher the, the quote, but I definitely, um, I don't know who originally said this, but it's definitely true when you think about it. Like all of the isms in the world, racism, sexism, uh, they're all classism in disguise. And I really think that, like, um, as sort of lower income white people we have far more in common with lower income um people of all sort of races creeds than we do with rich white people yeah um and i think that that is probably true for most folks like definitely class is what separates us and Mm -hmm. all the other stuff is uh pretty pretty horrific distractions um, from that very core sort of truth class is a slippery weasel it is and it's uh and i think everybody has a i think the more that people talk about it i think the more you realize that we actually all have the same sorts of complicated feelings around it and confusion about what class we were brought up in what class we are now Mm -hmm. um it's all very subjective yeah um and any kind of envy or it's yeah and yeah. we all sort of feel the same pressures and the same sort of shame, I think, around our there current is, position. There is. There's some shame. Shame Absolutely. is a big one. Yeah. Shame is huge. So, so yeah, I, I love talking about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, Gus. Bye. Career opportunities are ones that never knock. Every job they offer used to keep you out the dock. Career opportunities are ones that Your voice is the least of my worries in that regard. (laughs) Speaking of worries, what are your worries right now? What are my worries?
gosh, I don't know. I'm worrying all the time. Lately, as of late, it's been the traffic. I'm so stressed out because I live in West Seattle, okay. and getting across the bridge is such a pain. It should be do like you drive? A, no, God no. What do you? How do you? you Usually, bike? Uh, sometimes, but lately, no, because um, well, the traffic has gotten to be so much that it doesn't feel safe uh, anymore. There's some parts of Delridge that just don't feel very safe because it gets so congested. Yeah. So it just feels better for me to catch the bus. Yeah. Uh, also because typically I'm, I'm commuting all the way to the university. Um, and so it's just not it's just not worth the stress of like a flat tire like getting hit and like missing. School. I feel like the roads are very unsafe. The roads it's are a, very it's an unsafe. Issue for me. I'm, I I actually because I ride a bike. Yeah. And I also ride my sister's scooter, and I. like literally afraid of dying every time I get on the road and and I'm not being melodramatic no it's there's so many near misses that happen constantly I almost got hit by um I almost got hit by a van that wasn't looking when they were turning into they were turning into a bike lane it was my first time getting on my bike after like six months Uh uh-huh and that happened a few weeks ago and then I almost got hit by someone not looking when they opened their their oh yeah the door lane bike lane Mm -hmm. yeah uh so, yeah, it's just easier to catch a bus. But with that said, it still would be faster if I rode my bike because it takes me, like, between 30 and 45 minutes to get from uh, across the bridge from West Seattle to, like, uh, 3rd and Seneca. Right. It's faster stop. for me because I go to Columbia City a lot. It's oh, just yeah. faster for me to get on my bike than take the train. Oh, yeah. Um, even though I like the train, but it still doesn't save me any time. Not, no, not you know, not between biking. It's nice. It's a, it's nice, but I don't know. I feel like we're in a developing world. It's like utter destitution. It's like really intense extremes here in terms of like you see all of these sky rises going up these condos, like um, this huge disparity between classes and like these uh, interesting neighborhoods. That I feel like never really had that before. Yeah. Like literally, I'm like walking down the street and there's all these condos, and then there's this like woman with bags of all of her belongings and shit, and uh, she's like trying to steep her little tea. It looked like she was steeping oh. tea in a sock uh-huh. in a mug, which is like, you know, she wants to make herself a cup of tea, let her make herself a cup of tea, but then at the same time, there's like, you know, that meals to go place with the fucking chia pet cow outside, you know what I'm talking about, selling like $8 single lasagna packets, I don't know, it's just like, there's a a lot lot of weird, there's a lot of class issues going on that we haven't had to deal with here before in Seattle. Not that are new, quite we're to now like a, Well, now, there used to not be, like, super wealthy people all around, but now there are. And... Oh, it's the status quo, you know? Yeah, it's... But I'm glad you responded to my Facebook request about talking about class, because the situation that I'm in right now is a very... Um, I feel like I'm in the, um, the witness protection program. Like... <laughs> I'm cooking, you know, like I'm the line cook. And okay. it's all that I can do, and, and I have to ask myself constantly. It's all that I can do. Like, I'm sure people are like, what's that 48-year-old woman doing back here, like, cutting onions, you know? Like, but it's all that I can do not to justify myself or say, oh, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm in this outpatient program, and I can't really get a career job, and I'm just working... You know, you know, because I'm working for minimum wage right now, which, mm-hmm. which, which, but I need the money, and it sure it harms the ego, and then it's like, why should I care if I was really? Which part about it harms the ego, the wage or the work uh, itself? Well, I mean, that's what I'm trying to get at. It shouldn't matter, right? No, it shouldn't matter but what I'm I curious. do. It, 
But oh, is that a is that a leaf blower? Yes. Uh, right over there. Right what? Everywhere I go. Yeah. Everywhere I go. Um, I'm just curious because I've worked for minimum wage for most of my life, and I also independently have been a line cook or a prep cook. I sure. Should say. I've worked. In and the and of course, the intellectual part of me knows that we need to make money. Nobody knows where you're at in your life, like what's going on. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! I think we're gonna have to move because of that fucking that fucking thing. Yeah. And it's wherever we move to, it's gonna follow us. I swear to God. Where should we go? It's at this point that Leo and I realize you can never beat a leaf blower. So we move to the other side of Cal Anderson Park. And I'd just like to add that if Donald Trump promised to ban leaf blowers, I would vote for him. Uh, so you're doing like something that you feel passionate about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in a different way, because I was at Vivace for several years. Right. Um, and I really liked it, and I was very passionate about it at one point. But I think, honestly, with the change of the neighborhood, part of that started to fade. Um, Did you feel like you started getting treated differently there by the customers? Yes, definitely. And people didn't respect the craft and and I could see it in how they didn't respect us as workers and I didn't like it anymore I didn't and but this taps into why should it care why should it care that they respect you Um, why should you care that they respect you I guess it's not necessarily that they respect me as much as they respect what I'm doing for them the service that I'm providing them like I'm making them something nice yeah it's like my friend Bella who worked at Mama's Mexican Kitchen for years and years and years and Mama's you know Mama's Mexican Kitchen down in Belltown yeah and they they hire artists you know they hire and, and she's a performance artist and we still now we have oh the leaf blower man found us yeah we moved all the way over here and now he is that is really funny. I, it happens to me, I'm telling you. Um, but but what would happen is Bella would go to work in, uh, in, in performance art, like in character. She would do different kinds of characters. And it used to be that people were in on the joke or they'd get it. They'd get, hey, I'm in a, I'm in a place where my waiter is an artist and this is like, it's not really about an enchilada. You know what I mean? It's yeah. about more than an enchilada. Yeah. And so then... As soon as Amazon and Facebook and, you know, the, the douche factor of Seattle kind of raised up, she'd go to work and just get treated like, hey, hey, can I get the, you know, people didn't get what she was doing. The, the art of it was completely lost. And that's so humiliating to you to be treated like, wait, you know, this place used to, people used to understand what was going on here. Yeah. And now, now those people are gone. Or at least curious. And now it's just face value Mexican restaurant. Mama's Mexican Kitchen is not a face value Mexican restaurant. It's an experience or was an experience, you know? And so the same with Vivace. As soon as you started getting treated like, you know, we used to be treated treated well, you mm-hmm. know? What you got there was not something that you could get at other places and you better, you know, you're, you're lucky to be served there, <laughs> you know? And then, and, and, well, I mean, that has changed, you know. That vibe has changed for sure. Yeah, that vibe know. has changed for and, sure. And part of it too for me was, uh, it's just like tipping culture. I'm kind of over it. Like, I'm not 
that's I think that that was the shift. Like it felt like a like a mutual transaction in that I I made them a, a very lovely product, a, a really nice drink, and maybe some pleasant conversation for three right. minutes and a smile, and then they would you know pay and then they would throw like a buck in the tip jar or whatever. Uh huh. And we're nice in, in exchange, but I feel like there there became an imbalance. Where I'm like busting my ass turning out these drinks, and you know people are treating us like we're like we're nothing, like right. like we're just complete idiots or uh, like we don't even exist. You know the whole like being on their phone, etc. Sure. Um, I don't know. It just like it wasn't fun anymore. I didn't want to play anymore. It was. It felt like a game, and then the game wasn't fun anymore. And then that's like when I was like, okay, well I might as well just like. Get well, out of I here. was there this morning, and everybody in line was on their phone looking at their phones, whereas it used to be the people in line would be engaged, engaged with the barista, engaged with each other, and um, it it does, it, you know, there, there's a lot in that about feeling respected for what you do. Yeah, and, and what you were saying, like, it doesn't matter what it is that you do, um, how should I say this? Like, it shouldn't matter what you're doing to support yourself. And oftentimes, I feel like if you're in a community, it really doesn't because you're providing a service as part of that community, especially historically being in neighborhoods in Seattle. They're so small that <clears throat> where you live is usually where you work, where you go to school, whatever. Um, and, and there used to be, a, I think, a lifestyle here that was like really comfortable in that way. That isn't the case. Most people here have to commute now. And most artists, most, most creatives that, that make these places an experience like your friend you were saying at Mama's Kitchen oftentimes those people can't afford to even live in those neighborhoods anymore sure yeah um, and you're way out in West Seattle now yeah I've been out there since I moved back from Puerto Rico more or less uh-huh. uh, because it is cheaper and quite frankly if I'm going to be paying like 900 bucks for a studio I'm going to do that in like Manhattan right I'm not going to do that in Seattle I just can't do you feel disconnected being way out there mm, not any more so than I think I if I still lived here because most of my friends don't even live on the hill anymore and also I think I'm in a place in my life where I'm going through a lot of change and so there's just like my life is kind of like spread out in the city um, and I am kind of bi-coastal at this point like I've been dating someone long like fairly seriously right. now this whole year uh, so I'm kind of like bi-coastal somebody that's over in New York yeah she lives oh. in Brooklyn oh okay uh, yeah I'm actually leaving uh, oh congratulations that's really great summer it's I'm excited for you. Thanks. No, a lot of really great changes going on with your life. Yeah. Yeah. So, and also with that being in school, I think with being in school is more of a culture shock than anything else. Uh, I think growing up uh, in Seattle, being able to create, my, cultivate my own community around me, especially such a queer community here, sure. like on the hill in particular, like now being thrusted into the UW is like kind of a nightmare what do you mean in terms of like you're surrounded by like a bunch of um people with very little lived experience and like a lot of privilege that they don't realize yeah and so like it limits conversation they a lot of them aren't really from this area so they don't have any attachment to like the environment uh the people the culture here and so it's just like i don't know it's like a different world i'm not gonna lie well, yeah, but you have a lot of, you're, how old are you? I'm 20, I'm going to be 26 uh, next month. So you're, the interesting, you know, one of the more interesting things about you is you're young, but you have, you have, it's, you are not WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get, you know what I mean? Like you've lived a lot, you're a person of color. Yes. Trans. Yes. Um, y- you've lived, 
you have a rich life experience at your young age. I would so, say so. Yeah, I would, and you've traveled. You know, mm-hmm. you've lived. You know, extensively traveled. Um, so, you know some shit, and you've seen some shit, and. I would think that being at the U, um, you're just coming from a totally different point of view. So unconventional, for sure. Unconventional. Do you do you find it hard to to bond and stuff with people? Do you make friends easily there? Yeah, uh, relatively. I mean, I can. I can turn it on. I think that's like the beauty of being in customer service for like 14 years or whatever. Right. Kind of learn how to read people and, and get what you want from. Yeah, the Yeah, you're a people person. You're yeah, good with people. I'm personable. You're easy, easy going. For the most part, yeah. Uh, and so it's fine. It's just that like, oftentimes I feel like we reach a limit where we're no longer peers, and I feel like I have to either like teach or facilitate a conversation sure. for them to come to some sort of. I don't know. Do you get Revelation. your buttons pushed a lot? Uh, or are you not able often. to disregard? I'm able to establish boundaries. Okay. Um, the whole trans thing has been interesting in terms of like a lot of these uh, kids really haven't had any exposure to, to queerness or like trans people. Do people know you're trans? Or I mean, they, um, they're not going to know, like... Not often. Is it something you come out about? Yeah, I have to come out about it. Usually okay. when people are saying inappropriate things, specifically uh, young men, because that's like uh, the demographic oh, wow. of my programs, because I'm in the econ and sure. math programs. Sure. So it's mainly like, uh, like white guys and like foreign exchange students. Right. <laughs> you, you know what? You're, you're part of... You're part of something that I'm so curious about, and I've been, and I want to have a whole different. Um, I want to do a whole episode related to um, when when people are female to male trans, and when they can pass, and then the the part that we we women can't like. What is the inside? You remember that Eddie Murphy sketch where he dressed up as a white guy? It was no. a Saturday Night Live thing. It was really good. So he basically puts white makeup on and, and goes as a white man in the world uh-huh. to see what white people do with each other. And they're like, oh, you don't have to buy that. You can have it for free. And, you know, like, yeah. it's 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 kind of <laughs> like once you're a part of the quote-unquote male privilege and then you, if something happens, if some white guy says some dumb shit thing, you're like, uh, wait a second, rewind. We need to, like, establish something now, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then, but then that's the thing. It's like, well, what male privilege? To a certain degree, sure, like I'm privy to vulgar conversations and like which you don't want to be. Yeah, privy exactly, to. and yeah. like awful behavior. But in terms of respectability politics, I mean, I still have these kids. Once they, especially when they figure out that I'm older sure. and coming back to school, all of a sudden it's like. They have to always question my comments or suggestions. Let's say we're working on, you know, problem sets together. It's not necessarily projects at this point in my math uh, program. But let's say we're working on a problem set. And I'm like, well, you know, based on my experience, this is what I think that how we should uh, go about coming up with the solution. And, and there's a lot of questions because I don't know. And this is the thing. Why is it always that my answers are, are questioned and, and critiqued? Uh, whereas another boy that's like 19 and cis and 
and white uh, isn't, you know, because he's a Do you find that's happening? Oh, very much so, yeah. Do you think it's a a race issue? I don't know. I think it's a very subconscious, and it might be race, it might be ageism, who knows? Because you're older, you don't know anything? Maybe because I'm older, and so maybe I'm dumb because I came back to school later, or maybe it's because I'm brown, and they don't see the racial lens that they're looking through the world with. Yeah. Right? Or looking at the world with. Um, And that definitely impacts the way that they communicate with me. I definitely think so. Sure. Uh, Otherwise, These things are really hard to parse out, because my friend Brian McDonald, who I've done uh, a whole podcast with, he, I have to be very careful when I say men, men, blah, 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 or male privilege, blah, 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 because I'm not differentiating between white men and men of color. Exactly. And, he's like, well, and that's a huge and, distinction. And he'll that say, you have to whoa, make. Amy, just a sec. I don't get away with that same shit. No. It's, you know, it's good. I mean, it's, it's always I mean, good it to opens up to, yeah. I mean, I think it could open up your segment on. Uh, passing privilege and and all of that male privilege uh, you can d- dissect that i mean you can do a whole week-long series sure looking into different aspects of masculinity and how that translates because also i'm kind of effeminate so uh-huh. sometimes they read me as just like a fag oh right? so, so you have that whole thing yeah boy yeah <laughs> you dub yeah. surrounded by a bunch of frat bros you know that are just like and how do you how do you feel do you feel like um pretty comfortable in your skin yeah, I don't care. I mean, in terms good? of well, I guess in, with in, in re- I, I mean, I'm always what? I'm always curious if anybody feels good in their skin, and I'm not talking about the trans issue. I mean, just feel good in your skin, feel good about yourself, feel um, good enough. Some days I do, and some days I don't, and I think that's okay. I think uh, acknowledging that that is. Uh, that happiness is fluid for uh-huh. me is really important right because I do have a lot of anxiety that I'm working on with like a therapist and stuff and not really drinking very much anymore and certainly not doing drugs anymore uh-huh really being conscious of my emotions and where they're coming from and knowing that it all is like a process and like we're constantly in and out of flux right and so that's important for me but to say that I'm always happy with myself or satisfied with whatever it is that I am exuding it comes and goes it comes and goes yeah right Uh, it it really is all relative and a lot of it is tied into my day-to-day interactions and being in Seattle as a trans person of color is Uh can be very taxing well yeah I mean the amount of yeah, the amount of BS you have to listen to. I mean, well, and it's harder here because people aren't straightforward about things. Like it's just culturally the way that people in the Northwest communicate. It can be really difficult because it can be very passive and, and nuanced, and you don't really and know the what microaggressions. Really thinking. The microaggressions, and yeah. that's another thing. Is like because we're in a theoretically progressive place, um, it's hard to confront people with these issues because they won't, they can't see it. They can't see themselves in being malicious because to them, they are from a progressive place and they're proud of it and they're just so uh, blinded by sure. by their liberalism that they can't right. see outside of themselves. Yeah, there's a, there's still a huge problem with... It, it'd be so much what better... I'm saying, I'm yeah. saying, like, the lady deep in a tea in a sock in front of Starbucks uh-huh. and, you know, everyone's whizzing around in their, like, $50,000 cars going up into their, like, you know, million-dollar condos. Right. I just, like... I mean, and I'm not saying that they're supposed to, they need to necessarily do something for this woman, but I'm saying, like, there's money in this city. There's insane amounts of money, and I don't really, 
understand what's effective. Should we be having these people blowing garbage around with leaf blowers or should we invest in housing and like mental health services? Like what's more productive, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm totally with you on that. But I'm not, you know. No, it's hard not to see it. It's hard not to see it everywhere, the class stuff. I mean, that's why I want to start like digging at it, you know? So preventative, what's preventative from having these people, you know, sleeping in this park and, and what's more efficient, you know, having these people, uh, you know, over the course of time wear out this park and then we have to replace the sod, we have to blow garbage around for hours, or should we just invest in like some proper housing and some proper resources? Right. Yeah. You know, those are the yeah. questions that I ask when I walk around these neighborhoods that I've, I've walked for 25 years. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I appreciate the lens in which you see things. I mean, I have known you quite, I don't know, quite a while. On and off. And uh, yeah, but it's, 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 it's always nice talking to you and getting your perspective. And I'm glad you're out there because you're going to be able to affect some change, I think, in what you're doing. Thank don't you. you think? I hope so. I think a little bit here and there. Yeah, for sure. I think the one thing that helps me when you talked about do you feel good about yourself in general and one thing that helps me feel good about myself is being able to directly relate to people around me because it's easy for me to close myself off. Right. And but it it's, looks like you do spe- you see, you have a therapist that you see. Sure. You do specific work and I talked to my friend Be- uh, Becky Sullingut in another um, episode and she was talking about how she has to do certain things to monitor monitor her depression you know i have to eat right i have to exit i have to you know not too much alcohol not to you know like get this and this done and i'm the same way i have to do certain things every day i can't just let that shit slide because it can get bad and it sounds to me like you're doing a lot of work um you're following a certain like regimen to keep yourself mentally kind of there like like you said you're not really drinking you're being physically healthy trying <laughs> trying what's more important yeah. for me is like uh, my mental health in terms of um, mental sti- stimulation as well um, being in school and studying something that's more quantitative and, and a little more abstract I think is also really helpful for me because it keeps my brain engaged and it keeps me distracted from thinking about like or constantly thinking about like social dynamics and like what is happening you know on the day to day sure you know what I mean yeah but also relating to like what I do in terms of having to deal with uh, you know microaggressions as you mentioned earlier and like racism and and weird power dynamics culturally Uh, I think honestly like working directly in my communities like working with the city the office for civil rights has been really amazing for me because I feel like I've been directly able to um, have impact or like impart change in like a city that I grew up in you know what I mean like it it feels really special and, and I think that's like important to bear in mind is like uh, feeling connected to other people when there's so much change we're talking about classism right and like gentrification uh, consequentially and I think it's really important to, to keep in mind that you still have control over your community in terms of like how you relate to other people and like what you're doing with everyone else to like maintain that to cultivate that culture yeah, and you're you're staying connected I'm trying yeah as much as I can yeah and you I thank you for coming today and connecting with me on this. I appreciate it. Thank you. Very much so. Good to see you, Leo. Yeah. Oh, no. I said it. What? I said it. I said no worries. Oh, God. I hate when young people say no worries. Now you made me worry. God damn you. A working class hero is something to be. 
working class hero is something to be They hurt you at home and they hit you at school should not care what other people think, but, but everybody cares what people think. Oh yeah, we all, I care. We all do. I mean, we can down we can downplay it. I think we can make it less threatening or less in our own faces, but it's still there. Yeah. Have you ever had a job that you were a little bit embarrassed about? Oh yeah, I was a dishwasher once for once at Country Kitchen. I was a fry cook and a prep cook at Curtis Hotel in Minneapolis. My first job in Seattle was up in Madison at the uh, God. I can't even think of the name of it anymore. But some little divey short order place. Oh, the Cottage Restaurant. Oh, the I remember the Cottage Restaurant. I mean, these are all very low echelon. Yeah. Like, oh, what do you do at a party? Well, I fry eggs and I make white paste, white sauce soup. I don't know what kind of soup it is, but it's got a lot of white sauce soup. Yeah. At the cottage restaurant. I come and go in my life of my, you know, you've known me a long time, so you know, you know the fortune ebbs and flows. Yes. You know the bank account ebbs and flows. Up and down. The, um, what's the, the prestige ebbs and flows. Yes. But I will tell you, as a person that's been in a lot of different, uh, p- places in the prestige ladder, people treat do treat me differently depending on what I'm doing. Well, I think the barometer is like if you're at a group at a gathering or a party and you're talking to people and you get the inevitable, oh, what do you do? What are you up to? And you say, well, I'm a fry cook. Right. <laughs> and, and even, you know, if you're at a certain kind of party where there's like more upper level professionals, I, even as a school teacher, it's like, oh, I teach school. And sometimes you get, you know, sort of like people looking at the wall. It's like, Oh, you're not a software engineer, or you're not a, an entrepreneur, right. or you know, even on that level, which is so you okay. So just so people know, you taught special education for years and years. Special education and tech and music, yes. And in the public schools. And so when you would say that you were a teacher, see, a teacher is another one of those jobs where. There's a lot of lip service in our society about teachers are the, the backbone, they matter the most, but, but that's not the reality. The reality is they're not paid well and they're not respected. It, it's, it's interesting because, yeah, there is that whole echelon and that, that whole hierarchy, but it's clearly not, I mean, being a teacher is clearly not being a fry cook or a ditch digger in terms of prestige, but it, it's definitely somewhere on the scale, you know, falling below other more high upper um, you know up there professions I mean I worked at Seattle Central uh, call used yeah. to be community college but Seattle Central College last year and I was a program manager in the science and math and I know what everybody made because I did a lot of the hiring paperwork and all this and the the pittance, the pittance that these people worked for was just shameful yeah and and the amount of work that they had to do these teachers over over there they were grading papers over their weekends oh uh, yeah you great yeah you work well beyond the hours you spend a, a lot of your own money um, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars on my own money and and I and I'm truly not complaining I was happy to have the job in a lot of ways it was a good job I had great benefits but it's just interesting to see where different jobs and social the social positions that are connected to them fall in the, you know our hierarchy you know of um, you know what kind of person are you what good what good are you <laughs> based on your job 
Yeah. Are you a worthwhile human being? Well, if you wash dishes, I don't know. And it's hard not to um, try to come to your own defense saying, oh, I do this, but I really do that. And I'm, right. I wash dishes, but I'm really a writer. Or, um, oh, I'm not. Yeah. yeah. I'm, art, I'm an artist. I'm in a I'm band. A, I'm in a band. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a lot of, well, we know a lot of musicians, so there's a lot of the in a band um, you know, Betsy works at Ken's Market, and she has for years, and she loves yep. it. And she's got a good self great musician, and a great musician. But yeah. um, it, it's interesting the people that will take her as face value a grocer. Well, and the other thing, the interesting thing about musicians, and I was talking to uh, someone that I work with at Dusty Strings. Um, you know, if you're a musician, there's a whole making it. I'm going to make it and become a star. That I mean, that affects. I think most of us to some extent and there's a fellow at Dusty Strings and he was talking to some nationally known very well-known musician who, who pop in that, that store every so often and the guy was telling this this other person who teaches there you know you got a great gig you're making a living you're in a musical community you don't have to be out on the road all the time and you know get in the star making machinery crap and the guy said, yeah, this is, I'm doing pretty good. I, I love music. I love what I'm doing. I'm a musician because I'm a working musician. I play gigs. I record. I teach. But I'm not on this horrible, you know, star-making, you know, treadmill. I was mixing, I was going to say rat trap, but I think I'm mixing metaphors. Mix <laughs> <laughs> metaphors. Yeah, rat, rat maze? What is it? Rat, rat treadmill? I don't know. I worked for a little while last year also at Ted Brown Music, you know, yeah. working minimum wage. And... Um, that's all classical music people and you're dealing with classical instruments and the people that I worked with were <clears throat> amazingly knowledgeable people they had you know some of them had PhDs in music and y it doesn't matter if you have a PhD in music you're still not gonna make any money I anybody mean, that's in the Seattle Symphony they're also playing in ensembles they might be playing in the Bellevue Symphony they're playing in a chamber music group they're all over the place right know, trying to make a living yeah but if you work at a job like, you know, Ted Brown or some music instrument store, then you can buy your instruments for half price and you're right. also in the culture and you're also talking to musicians all day long. So you're in that, you're at least in the environment that you want to be in, but there's no way that you're going to be, you know, playing the oboe <laughs> and going to be able to swing it, right. you know? Which, and which gets us back into the whole class thing because, you know, Working at Ted Brown and playing in an ensemble and being around other musicians, at least you're getting the, some sort of social validation. But again, if you're a fry cooker washing dishes, yeah, it's not exactly a camaraderie. Well, maybe there is of dishwashers and fry cooks. I guess there is to a certain extent, but right. it's not quite the same. Yeah, it's like uh, right now I'm I'm doing a lot of that. You know, grabbing big, you know tubs of fries and par cooking them and I look at myself and I'm like I, I do there's a certain like performance art aspect to my life and kind of always have that I just I just go in and out of all these different experiences and do you, do you find yourself like making little changes in your fry cook job or trying to inject a little I almost said artisan a little, a little, a little art, a little, you know, engineering a little bit, so it's a little more satisfying. Well, I to always you. want everything to be really good. Yeah. Like if I'm cooking fries, I want to cook them the way that I like them. Or if I like cook bacon, I want it to be crispy the way that I like it. You know, it's not like I'm just gonna, like, take my spatula and just shovel a bunch of shit onto a plate. Of course, you're you, you're dealing with what you can deal with. All the tickets come up, and that stuff has to go out. Can't always be 
what you want it to be. But I, th- I, th- I think people, I think most people are inherently creative, and, and whatever job you put them in, unless they're totally beat down, they're going to find some way to personalize or some way to make it even a little bit satisfying. I mean, you get a lot of that when you read Studs Terkel, but I remember when I was doing a fry cook in Minneapolis, and I would get all these sandwich orders and we for some reason we didn't write it down so i would have to to remind myself it was like a blt i'd put a little piece of bacon over here on the left side of my tray and if it was like a grilled cheese i'd put a little piece of cheese there so i had a little they're like little little, I, little food icons yeah. you know left to right so it's like oh that's grilled cheese that's bacon lettuce and tomato that's that's double cheeseburger that's sure tuna. And there's a yeah. lot of memory stuff it's like when yeah. i worked at vivachi it's like the way we put the cups down was like uh it's like memory chunking you know that concept yeah. of chunking yes. yeah so you you take all the orders and when when somebody would say like um I want a double tall mocha, and then I want to... And they, they give you, like, ten orders, but they say it in a really weird way, and you just throw away words. You you, you throw away the word double. You throw away the word... You know, you and, you and then you just reorder everything that they just said, and then set the cups down in such a way that you're chunking together all that information. See, I'm... And here's something I could ask you. I'm really interested in the whole... You know, the whole barista vocational slash cultural thing's been with us for you know, at least a couple of decades. And that's that's a real sort of working class strata. I mean, that's a real yeah. thing. And I'm just curious, where where is that at now? Are people getting benefits? Are they getting paid better? Do some people see this as sort of a career, quote-unquote, or just hanging out there until something else comes along? It's a mixed All bag. the above. It's a mixed bag. I mean, it's... It can be, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of, a lot of conflict in it, just in that question. I mean, if yeah. I take Vivachi because that's, that's what I, that's like my home away from home and that's where that's I know That's your Rosetta people. Stone. <laughs> and, and there are every single different type of way of coming at that job. Yeah. Some of it's career people, some of it's. I'm going to school. Some of it's I'm going to get in and get out. Other people are artists or in bands or different things. So it's it's a real mishmash. And the thing that's the thing that changed with coffee that's really upsetting is it used to be more respected and then somehow it became robotic. So now people are just on their phones right. and not they're not engaging with the barista the way they used to in the well, 90s. Well, here's an interesting question. Is as and this is a generalization as things have become more robotic, is there also been a trend of a little better pay, a little more benefits? Is, um, is there anything, you know? I think well, with the minimum wage, got a truck. With the minimum wage going up in Seattle, that yeah, that has to happen. Now I don't know what's going on with the tips then. You know, right. I, I don't know if they take another hit with tips, so that's kind of something I haven't asked anybody for, there For yet. example, at Vivachi, do people get benefits after a certain amount of time there? Like medical, I dental, don't, I don't know. time I don't know what's thing. going on with that. Yeah, yeah. When I, I know the, some of that. I, I know Starbucks has some of that. I don't know to what extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of that is like you you have to have a plan and then right. you have a massive deductible so then people don't end up going to the doctor that's right. more what i'm hearing is that pe- people are having they have insurance but they're still not doing any preventative medicine because they have to pay out of pocket up to like five thousand dollars well and the whole i mean the, the, our economy more and more is service-based economy right you know industrial base pretty much gone so most you know most of the new jobs even in the in, in 
last eight years have been service, so-called service area jobs, many of which are just total crap. You know, some are better than others, and that's that's an interesting area. I think, um, you know, wh- where is that going to go? Where can that go? Is it going anywhere? I don't know. There needs to be useful? more. There just needs to be more in, it. like, the classism needs needs to just be turned down a little bit. I mean, people need to stop making fun of people for, like, like I was saying, that you can watch The Daily Show and they'll still make a joke about, oh, you want fries with that? It's like, oh, great. So this is like The Daily Show and you're supposedly progressives and yet you're disparaging people that make fries. Right. So what kind of message is that? And you're the, you're the liberals, you know? And and, yeah, and, and when I was a teenager in high school and, and a few years after, I mean, most of, as far as I could observe, most of the fast food jobs were, in fact, kind of entry-level jobs for 17, 18, 19-year-olds. That's gone. That's not the case anymore. These are adults with families working these jobs. Yeah. I mean, at at the place that I work right now, there's a lot of people in their 30s that work there. Yeah. Whereas, um, and these are adults. Yeah. This is their living. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and you, you would, one would hope that they'd make some kind of money where they can make a living, have some kind of benefits, have some kind of time off, and not be treated like, you know, scum. Yeah. You're just making my burger. I don't give a fuck about you. You should always be nice to people that are making you stuff that you put in your mouth. I, I am always, and I, yeah, I'm not bragging on myself, but I kind of am. I'm always very nice to people, <laughs> clerks and service people, because I've been there, and they're human beings too, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, discussing class issues with me. Yes, it's interesting to see where this all goes. Yes, if you ever want a V-Dub subculture podcast. That's that's next on the list. That's next, yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Yuri. Yeah.